modern life, especially as social media has remade it and encouraged us to form communities where we punish dissent and we separate from others, modern life has made it very easy for us to drift into weakness and stupidity. And that's what I see happening all around me. This episode of Please Blow My Mind with me, Will Fleming, is brought to you by floatculture.co.nz. Float Culture is Auckland's leading flotation tank centre created for the well-being of the body and mind. When you float with floatculture.co.nz, you'll create meaningful and lasting change with mindfulness and complete physical relaxation. Floating will become an integral part of your busy lifestyle. Float Culture is motivated to ensure that the entire experience achieves maximum relaxation, happiness and relief for you. So if you want to be part of the float culture scene in New Zealand, visit floatculture.co.nz to book your float and blow your mind right now. As a very special offer to you, the Please Blow My Mind listener, you'll get 20% off your next float by using the promo code MINDBLOWING, all one word. Visit floatculture.co.nz and book your float today. We live in a world that encourages us to remove ourselves from the human experience. Whether it's looking at our phones too long, forgetting how to talk to someone face to face, or just straight up giving in and convincing ourselves that a chicken nugget is actual food. It's not food, it's violence. I don't know about you, but this freaks me out. So I've started a podcast, my antidote to this silliness. It's time to blow our minds. My name is Will Fleming. Welcome to my podcast, Please Blow My Mind. Jonathan Haidt, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping this is your first Kiwi podcast. Uh, Kiwi podcast, yes. I've done one or two <laughs> Kiwi news programs, but right. no, you're my, you're my very first Kiwi podcast. <laughs> That's all we need. I can turn this off now. No, um, so you're coming to New Zealand. Uh, when, when about are you coming and how can we kind of come and see you? Let me see. I land in Auckland on August third, uh, no, July 30th. And I'm giving a talk in Auckland on August 1st. Mm, okay, cool. And and do you have your themes and everything set for what you're going to do? Um, yeah, it'll be about sort of the end of the world and how we're messing everything up and <laughs> yeah. how we're doomed. Uh, yeah. uh, but I'll try to end on a happy note with what we can do if we want to avoid that fate. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I call this podcast, Please Blow My Mind. You're doing that. Um, uh, look, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we kind of had a brief chat before we started recording. Um, I guess there's we, we talked a little bit about this idea of the virus. I don't know if, if people have seen that old movie, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes. But, and I don't, you know, I saw it when I was a kid, but, you know, it's like a weird like virus it's almost like a virus like it's spreading and people get taken over and then you know the, who's the last human left alive and obviously i'm exaggerating but that's kind of what it feels like to be on a college campus in the united states um again i'm overstating because not all <laughs> yeah. campuses have had this happen but a, a strange new moral form uh, eru- erupted around 2015 it was a new moral matrix we might say i my own research i should say is on moral psychology i'm a social psychologist i do um, experimental research, correlational research, uh, across cultures, across social classes. And in the United States, I've come to especially look at how the morality of the left and the right uh, differ. Mm. So here I am studying um, all these different moralities, and this new moral form uh, emerges on American campuses around 2014, in which students are suddenly saying, I feel unsafe, this book is violence, this speaker is traumatizing. And most of us couldn't understand what they meant when they were saying they felt unsafe. Um, 
like, what do you mean? Like, will they hurt you? Uh, and it was a new attitude towards speech and ideas. Um, and, uh, and then it spread very quickly. Uh, and the way this, this new morality works is the world is seen in terms of, of danger and safety. And um, on a college campus, you know, from, from roughly 420 BC until about 2014, college professors were supposed to be provocative. That was part of the fun of coming to college is you could think about anything, you'd be challenged. And beginning in 2014, 2015, professors began getting in trouble for saying things that somebody in the class found offensive. If one person finds it offensive, they can report you. Uh, and so, um, so this is what spread rapidly uh, in 2015, especially when Halloween. For some reason, I don't know if you know about it. Do you, have, do you do Halloween? Do you guys dress up in costumes at Halloween? Yeah, we do, but it's a bit like Christmas. We take the, uh, you know, the, the PR version and we spend lots of money and eat lots of sugar. I think that's about that. Okay, that's about what we do too. <laughs> yeah. But college students, you know, they dress up as sexy nurse or pirate or things like that. Right. Um, and uh, and there, we, we, there emerged this like extreme, it was a combination of extreme fragility and extreme sort of political sensitivity. So if somebody dressed up as, a, as say, a, a geisha, a Japanese geisha, you know, that would be a scandal. Um, you know, if you dress up as any culture other than your own, that would be called cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for each of these, each of these things, there is a justification. It's not as though these are individually crazy, each one, but the pattern, um, it just changed. Like I've been teaching for a long time and students used to love sex and humor and jokes about sex. But now we can't do any of that. We can't talk, even talk about sex. It's just too, somebody will get upset. Somebody will report you. Mm. Um, so this weird thing emerged and, uh, and then it very quickly um, showed up in Canada and Britain as well. It's not as much in Britain as it is in the U.S. and Canada. And so my friend Greg Lukianoff had this idea uh, in 2014, that that students were beginning to think in exactly the ways that he had learned to stop thinking when he took uh, when he was trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. Greg was prone to depression. He is prone to depression. He had a suicidal depression in 20 in 2007, and when he was released from the hospital, he uh, he um, learned CBT and improved his thinking, and was able to fight off the depression. And then he goes back to his job, um, which is actually protecting free speech rights of students. He's mm -hmm. the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. He goes back to his job in 2008. And in 2013, 2014, he starts seeing students doing exactly the distortions that he learned not to do, like catastrophizing, black and white thinking, overgeneralizing, like really bad thinking. Mm. And so he comes to me to tell me this idea that somehow college is making students to think in depressive ways. Might they get depressed? So he and I wrote this up as a paper for The Atlantic uh, called The Coddling of the American Mind, yes. and that came out in August of 2015. And then at Halloween 2015, all hell broke loose, and that's when this new morality really went national. Mm. So that's what we're suffering under now. Is a, It's a call-out culture. Um, it's a kind of a political activism. It's all about little symbols. It's not even about big things. It's about, like, don't use this word. Don't wear this hat. Mm. So, all right, I'm, I've been talking too long. I'll, no, I'll no, no, pass no. it back to you. <laughs> Thank you. So that's, Thank that's, you. A, that's a report from the front line. <laughs> yeah. Weird stuff is happening <laughs> in American universities. Look, uh, you mentioned this black and white thinking, and it's a theme that I talk about quite often on the podcast. It's if you really look at something, there's multiple. I mean, most things hopefully sit in a gray area, but I wonder yeah. where this push for 
you know, you have to decide what you think and then you have to share that. And may, maybe it is the idea that we can share it with the world and you're, you're, maybe it's the internet is encouraging us to to want to share something. So you've quickly got to, you know, make up your your moral, uh, you know, philosophy. And it's part of the reason I started the podcast, like to have a chat with a thousand people and then decide what my thoughts are on religion and, and all, all those types of things. I mean... Um, how do you find it when, I mean, you're having a lot of conversations now with people, you know, um, and uh, you can look on YouTube and you're all, all over the place. What do you describe to people what you do? You know, you have the bio that you put on your website. Like, right. uh, I, this is what I kind of think of you and tell me if I'm, I'm wrong, but you're someone who's analyzing, uh, you know, kind of the morals we're living and 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 trying to kind of feed it back to us in a way that makes sense i mean does that make sense no it does it does in fact let me look up mm. it's kind of this is like totally geeky yeah, here, this is awesome i actually so i teach in a business school now i'm a social psychologist and i was in the psychology department at the university of virginia for uh for a long time yep and then i moved to a business school and soon after i got to a business school i um I wrote my own mission statement. That's what sounds totally geeky. You know, every organization, I teach ethical leadership and leadership and, and ethics. Uh, let me just see. Wait, what's this? Yeah, cool. Uh, no, hold on a second. Uh, I, I can remember it roughly. Yeah, cool. So um, my mission, okay, because I study moral psychology, so my mission is to use moral psychology and social psychology more generally to help complex systems work better. And the complex systems that I'm involved in uh, originally in 2004, I, I started devoting my work to understanding the causes of political polarization. Mm. The culture war in the United States was getting really nasty. And I could see that this was, it was leading to decreased trust. It was leading to dysfunction in Congress. So I got very alarmed by our rising hatred across party lines. Got interested in political institutions and democracy in general. So that's one. Mm. Uh, and then uh, when I moved to a business school, I started looking at how moral psychology can help businesses work better. Because if you have an ethical culture, uh, then there's more trust. There's less risk of, of being sued, of being prosecuted. Um, and so I, I, I run a collaboration called ethicalsystems.org to help businesses use behavioral science. And then when all hell broke loose on college campuses in 2015, um, I co-founded an organization called heterodoxacademy.org, uh, which we now have 2,700 professors who think that, you know what, we actually need viewpoint diversity to do our work. We, we don't want to be all on one side. So that's what I do. I, I seem to, I find problems that bother me. And then I think, hey, you know, if we got the right people and the right research, I bet we could figure this out. Mm. And and then I, 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 you know, invite people to join and I put up a website and, and we synthesize the available research and we, we create products and not, I mean, product things, tools that might be helpful. So that's basically what I do with my time. And when you're analyzing data, because... You know, I would say a lot of people just get on with life, right? Like, and we're encouraged to do that. You should probably go to work and and have a family and try and you know hang out with people that you enjoy and 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 you know I guess go to films like Avengers and things like that that take your mind off off the bigger things. If you're someone like yourself who's looking at the bigger picture, like, is it a good place to be? Do you feel like a hopeful or? 
I mean, if you're looking at all of this data and you're seeing, yeah. you know, the relationship between Instagram and, and kids and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. How do you, I mean, do you kind of have to cache it when you get home and stuff like that? Right. So, so this is, that's a really interesting question. Um, the funny thing is that our happiness is not much related to how we think the world is going. And I think the world is going to hell. Now, you know, Steve Pinker and many other people point out that materially speaking, things are getting better, and he's right. So, it, you know, in most ways, the world's getting better. I don't want to overstate it. But in terms of democracy, um, in terms of the mental health of Gen Z, the kids born after 1996, there's a lot of really serious problems. My own country is really going to hell. Um, our politics is, is de not deadly, but our politics is dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So overall, I'm... I'm really um, despairing and hopeless about the future in a lot of ways. But you know what? The worse things get, the better it is for me in my career because I study this stuff. Mm. And the point I'm trying to make here is not that I'm some sick bastard who get, takes pleasure in the sickness of the world. It's that our happiness comes not from global things. It comes from very local things. Mm. Um, I have a great family. I love my job. I'm a professor at NYU, which is a great university. And I feel incredibly engaged in, in applying everything I know to address problems I care about. So I have a very deep sense of meaning and purpose. I, I love my life. I'm actually very happy. Um, so, uh, you know, I think in general, the Internet and social media have linked us all into nastiness and global problems mm. that really – I'm not saying we shouldn't let it affect our happiness, but, you know, we, so I guess you'd say – you know, think global, but live your life local. I mean, you know, be aware of what's going on. But we don't really help matters just by retweeting angry things to get other people angry. Um, produce value for someone else, which is why they'll pay you. That's the only reason you'd ever get hired. Mm. Produce value for other people. You meet your obligations. Help those that are close to you. Uh, and the world has always been getting better and always going to hell at the same time. Mm. So we have to find a way to live with that. And it's hard to know if if this is, I mean, it, it must have been the way humans felt the whole time. And I guess the feeling is there's like this pendulum that keeps swinging back and forward. But I don't know if it was you or someone else talking about you've kind of got to make sure that the pendulum can keep swinging. I'm not certainly not putting words in your mouth and that mm. some ideas – <laughs> are built to stop it <laughs> stop that pendulum swinging back and forth is that something that well let's uh I, you know people often ask me whether i think it's a pendulum swing mm. you know because at least in the united states we had waves of activism student activism in the 1960s in response to the vietnam war and racism um and then there was another wave in the early 90s late 80s that was more faculty driven uh, and so the wave of student activism now isn't it just a pendulum swing and i think there may be some cyclical features to it but i think that there are some things that are very different. <clears throat> and um, the main factor, and, let, and let's, let's talk about this, because this is, I think, the most important issue of our time. Well, all right, there's like 10 most important <laughs> yeah. issues, but one of them, one of them is that social media has unique properties that I think are mostly very, very bad. So I'd, I'd urge everyone to make a big distinction between the internet, uh, so there's the internet, there's screen time, and there's social media. And they're all different. So in general, in human history, any new technology that links people together better has been a good thing. It's, it's generally good to have greater connectivity. So the internet is amazing. And it opens up possibilities for learning and education. Like, you know, you and I can talk to each other. Right? Mm. I can talk to people in New Zealand thanks to you and the internet. So I love the internet. The internet is amazing. Um, 
And uh, when I wrote this book with Greg Lukianoff called The Coddling of the American Mind, we did a lot of research into what's happening to, uh, to young people. Uh, the rates of depression and anxiety are skyrocketing, especially for girls. And what we've learned by really digging into the research is that it's not that they're staring at their phones necessarily. Screen time itself is not so bad until you get to six or eight hours a day. But staring at your phone for two or three hours a day, there's no sign that that's harmful. Uh, watching a screen is not harmful. Um, so, I, you know, iPhones are not bad things necessarily. They're overall very good things. I love my iPhone. I use it all the time. It's specifically social media. This is what people need to understand. Um, if you're talking, if you're talking to people uh, in ways that are uh, direct or, or authentic, that's good. But if you're talking to people only to use them to increase your social revenue, that's bad. Mm. And this is what you see. This is what teenagers say. Um, the more we have conversations that are about me doing things that increase my likes or, or retweets or, or whatever it is, that that's a really bad thing to do, and especially for young minds. So, um, so actually, you know, if, okay. Well, let me kick it back to you first. Mm. Do you first of all in New Zealand? Do you see signs? that your teenagers are suffering from increased depression and anxiety. Yes, it's a it's one uh, we just had the government released um, the local budget and it's called the wellness budget because they're investing heavily in mental health. We have uh, I think uh, per capita one of the worst suicide um, rates for people. You know, oh it's, my it's yeah 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 like you would think New Zealand clean green uh yeah, you should be the healthiest country in the we world. You got everything going for you. Yeah, that's the thing is that when people when people check us out, that's the image, you know, Middle Earth and all that kind of stuff. But we're we're not doing terribly well, you know, and and mm. and and it's got what a lot of. What do you attribute that to? Or what is, what mm. do New Zealanders say? What's the reason? For that? Uh, I think we have a history of um, you know colonization, which came from um, the UK or Britain, and what that brought with it was this kind of archetype for a man, and the man was supposed to um you know work and and not complain and and so the public conversation is about trying to get men to open up a bit more you know we our national game is rugby and it's like this game where you're supposed to bash each other and 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 not complain and i guess that's where now the feeling is well if you do that for a certain amount of time you're not going to be able to kind of speak out loud and 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 um and articulate yourself but but it's it's a why can't a man be more like a woman yeah <laughs> so why is it women who are most depressed? I mean, I don't know anything about mm. the stats in New Zealand, but I'm going to guess that women have higher depression rates because that's true almost everywhere. Right. And in the United States, um, it's the it's the girls who are going through the roof in yep. depression, anxiety, self harm, and suicide. In New Zealand, is it both sexes equally that are suffering, or is it more women that are rising? In yeah, I don't know, and it's something I should probably um, look at. Um, you know, and that's the thing, right? I, I'm someone and maybe I represent a few people who hear things and then we think that's the story, but I don't I wouldn't know how to really read research on that. I mean it's probably I'm sure there's some statistics. Um but definitely all you hear is that uh suicide rates are skyrocketing and we're trying to get a handle on on, on what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think people need to understand what's happening in the United States, Canada and Britain. Uh, because it really could be coming to you. Maybe not. Maybe you'll be like, insulated, but maybe it's coming to you. So, um, so if you look at graphs of uh, depression and anxiety, um, you know, girl, teenage girls have higher rates than boys. That's always been the case. But beginning in 2012, the boys' rate goes up 
between 10 and 30 percent on most of these measures. Mm. And the girls' rate goes up between 50 and 150 percent. Um, and that's not just for depression and anxiety, which is self-report, and maybe it's just what they're comfortable talking about. That's for self-harm. That's for cutting themselves. So um, the rate at which uh, 10 to 14-year-old girls cut themselves so that they're hospitalized, um, it used to be not very common for the young girls to do that. But that rate is up 150% in the last seven or eight years. All the numbers start going up in 2012. And so, and, and here's the history. So the reason why it goes up around 2012, I think, is this. Um, in 2006, Facebook opens up to the world. Before then, it was only for college students. Um, in 2007, the iPhone comes out. And so, you know, most teenagers weren't on Facebook when it first came out. And then the iPhone comes out, but it's expensive, so most don't have it. But gradually, they get it. And it's really 2009 to 2011. That's the transitional period. Because in 2009, Facebook introduces the like button, which is very important. Because it's one thing to just look at my page, everybody. Look at me, look at me. That is not so good for teenagers. But to say, look at me, everyone. And I've got a counter to know how many people looked at me and did you like it? Mm. It's that quick reinforcement. That's what really activates the more addictive circuits, the dopamine circuits, um, the pain and pleasure circuits. You can quantify your social standing. You can quantify your social revenue. So in 2009 with the like button, that's when Facebook gets very much more addictive. And that's when all the other platforms also, as they come on, master this art of basically hooking people, addicting the kids especially. Mm. And so between 2009 2011 is the transitional period in which American teenagers go from mostly not living online, they actually would go over to each other's houses and they would actually do things in person. But by 2011, that those numbers have dropped a lot and now they're mostly congregating online. Mm. And sure enough, in 2012 is when you see the big uptick in girls' mental health problems. This is true in Britain as well, in Canada as well. So it, it turns out that um, kids really need to play. They need to interact face-to-face. -face. Uh, the millennials didn't get this stuff until college, and there's no sign that they were harmed. Mm. Their brains got to develop, and then they got social media. Um, but Gen Z, kids born in 1996 and after, I think it's looking like their brain development was interfered because they have so much less face-to-face -face interaction. They don't develop the social skills of social interaction, and they're coming up very anxious and fragile. And that's mm. those are the kids that first showed up on college campuses in 2014, and that's why this new morality came in in 2014, this morality of trigger warnings and safe spaces and protect me from this speaker and don't let that speaker on campus. So something has really changed for American, British, and Canadian kids who were born after 1995 or 1996. Yeah. So when I come over, I'm, and before then, I'm going to be looking for the stats. What's going on with your young people? Mm. That's the big question. Well, I mean, you know, and hopefully you can um, look at those stats and shed some light on on, on, on our little country, you know, because it should be, it should be, uh, they call it the land of the long white cloud, you know, it should be a beautiful place. And, and yeah, it's got some, it's got some weird things. It's a, and I think partly it's because it's a small country you know but we still have everything like you know huge malls and you know teslas and all that stuff but it's like mm. there's so many areas well, you got a lot of american and chinese billionaires i guess <laughs> yeah. were yeah. buying up land is that why you're coming here jonathan <laughs> you're yeah. coming to buy an island hey um how are we going for time I th i've got 20 minutes on here but i know we started late you have to go soon right i have to go at six o'clock so I, I have 13 minutes okay okay cool um i thought i could ask you something so <laughs> 
I'll just try and think my way through because, look, I'm one of those people who is also scared to put things out there not knowing the repercussions, right? And I kind of go into these things with, well, it's my intent is to learn, but I know the internet doesn't play fair. They take sound bites and they they tell you you're this and that. Um, I preface that because we just recently had like a day where we stand up against bullying. And the conversation in New Zealand is... um, bullying is bad and you know of course I agree with that I guess the one thing I was thinking about uh, was that everyone I know who got bullied at school including myself kind of if it didn't break you you used it to fuel you and I'm, I'm a bit worried about the messaging to my own kids you know they're 13 and 11 and 1 so I'll worry about the one year old later who knows what she's growing up to but yeah. but I try and encourage them that look you've kind of got to go through this it's not about me protecting you the whole time even though and they, I guess I'm just trying to work out as a parent yeah. there is a fine line you know it's like yeah, there is. I don't want them to be broken but it's like how the hell would you judge what that even means. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I can give you a couple of, of, yep. of psychological principles here yep. that'll clarify things, I hope. So the first is that stress is not bad for kids. Kids must have stress. What's bad for kids and adults is chronic stress. Mm. So if you are stressed and anxious chronically, over that means constantly for days or weeks or months, that damages your brain. High levels of cortisol change neural development, especially for children, um, and change their personality and lead to burnout. So uh, you don't want to protect your kids from challenges and conflicts. But now bullying, so the, the original definition of bullying required that there be a power differential, a threat of violence, and that it be continued over multiple days. So when a kid is being bullied, I mean, they're, they're incredibly anxious, constantly for days and days or weeks and weeks or months and months. That's really, really bad. Mm. Um, as far as I know, the research on bullying often finds that there are permanent or there are permanent effects. Um, bullying is, is bad stuff. Mm. Now, what, what's happened, unfortunately, is that in the United States, at least, we have concept creep. So we, we use words like bullying, trauma, violence, um, addiction, racism, prejudice. They all had a meaning 20 or 30 years ago, but the meaning shifts to uh, encompass lower and lower, smaller and smaller things. So that now we are so sensitive about bullying that bullying has come to mean any kind of aggression even once. And if you try to wipe out aggression in kids, you're really going to harm them because kids have to be exposed to conflict and even aggression. Short-term stress is good, is necessary. Uh, you don't want a system in which if one kid insults another on the playground, an adult's going to get involved. You, you want kid, kids have to fight. They have to have conflicts. Um, so I, I would never say, oh, you know, let, let kids be bullied. Let them work it out. Because if one kid is being picked on for weeks, that's horrible. Mm. And there's no sign that they benefit from that. Some might, I mean, some 30 years later will say, thank God. I, you know, but most will not. Most will really remember it bitterly. Yeah. Uh, so I think schools are right to stop bullying as long as they – keep a high bar for it that is they recognize that it's multiple days mm. you don't want to clamp down on all aggression it's that high bar that you talk about eh? and and i kind of feel like it's uh it's just confusing and that's one of the things that i you know i was thinking thinking what would i ask you and we do live in a confusing time you know yeah. you, you can really find a narrative <clears throat> for anything you want to do or think and then that that's echo right. chamber builds you and it turns you into you know you can manifest that and so uh, 
maybe that's why I think people are flocking to you know watch your videos because you're just helping provide you know and I don't want to put too much pressure on it but certainly like this just general truths or maybe that's even too much see I can't even articulate it just something yeah, about well, yeah can, yeah I can tell you what I'm trying to do mm. um, you know I study um, my, the, my book The Righteous Mind is about how we basically evolve for tribalism and we're very good at doing us versus them and what I'm trying to do is turn that down if we want to have tolerant diverse secular liberal democracies we have to turn down the tribalism. We have to treat each other as individuals, not judge each other by race and gender and other things. Um, we have to be pretty tolerant, give others the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so we, we've got to learn new ways of being. And I'm trying mm. to model that myself. Yeah. I used to be on the left. I'm nothing now. I, 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 I study politics. I'm not on any team. I'm certainly not a conservative, although people assume if I criticize the left, I must be on the right, but I'm not. Mm. So I'm, I'm trying to model a way of of you know acknowledging almost everybody almost every team has a piece of the story almost every team has something that they're right about mm. and and i'm trying to promote the idea of nuance the idea that um we have to beware simple stories so actually so our time is is coming near an end but yep. let me let me end with something i've been thinking a lot about recently which is how do you make yourself smarter and stronger or how can you make yourself dumber and weaker if that's your goal and, and it all proceeds from the central idea of the coddling, which is anti-fragility. So this is a really important concept. And this is basically what you and I were just talking about with the bullying issue. Um, so there's this really useful term, anti-fragile, from Nassim Taleb, uh, who's actually at NYU with me. He's, he wrote the book, The Black Swan. <clears throat> Um, and uh, and he points out that there are some systems that are fragile, or some things like a glass is fragile. So if you drop it, it breaks. It doesn't get better. Um, and then there's some things that are resilient, like plastic. If you drop it, it doesn't break, but it doesn't get better. And there are a few things that you have to drop in order for them to get better. And so the immune system is the best example. If you protect a kid's immune system, then the immune system won't learn, it won't get stronger, and the kid will not have a healthy immune system as an adult. So you have to, you should encourage your kids to play in the dirt, get their hands dirty, and then, you know, wipe their noses with their hands. You actually have to be exposed to microbes and all kinds of foods and things to, to develop. And if we protect our kids too much, then we're actually hurting them. That's what I think is happening with America's teenagers. We've overprotected them, and then we gave them social media, and, and it's really damaged them. Mm. So once you understand the anti-fragility principle now, now you can see that if you want to get um, stronger, you need to seek out challenges. And if you want to get weaker, you should protect yourself from challenges. Okay, that's very general. You know, that sounds kind of a, a trite. But now let's bring in something else. Um, if we're tribal by nature, uh, we, we, we do us versus them very easily. There's a, a wonderful TEDx talk by Tyler Cowen. He's a very interesting economist at George Mason University. Um, he's a sort of libertarian economist. <clears throat> and, and he has this TED talk in which he said, talks about the danger of simple stories, the danger of stories. And he says, if you want to, it says, as soon as you embrace a good versus evil story, your IQ drops by 10 points. Wow. Um, once you see whatever the issue is, be it gun control, abortion, um, poverty, immigration, whatever the issue is, once you see it as us versus them, our team against theirs, you can't think straight. You can't handle evidence um, uh, honestly. You get dumb. 
And universities should be the preeminent places that make people smart, that should expose people to all kinds of ideas and perspectives, that force them to make arguments rather than insults and intimidation. Um, we're in the business of making people smart and strong mm. in terms of intellectually strong and even personal development strong. That should be what we're doing. And so once you realize that left to our own devices, <clears throat> we will protect ourselves and others, which will make them weak. And we will group ourselves into tribes and groups that agree with us and filter bubbles that will make us stupid. And so my concern is that modern life, especially as social media has remade it and encouraged us to form communities where we punish dissent and we separate from others, modern life has made it very easy for us to drift into weakness and stupidity. And that's what I see happening all around me. Americans are becoming emotionally weak and intellectually kind of stupid in that they can't do nuance. Um, they can't think flexibly. Mm. Uh, we're much more polarized than you are politically. Um, and uh, uh, so I guess the, the way to end this this is I come to you as the ghost of Christmas future, <laughs> warning you of what might await New Zealand if you don't listen. <laughs> don't do what we did. Don't raise your kids the way we did. Don't let your politics drift the way we did. So that's my closing advice is really embrace psychology. Um, embrace the fact that we are incomplete creatures. We're miraculous creatures. We're these amazing primates that lived in small tribal societies for hundreds of thousands of years. And then we just broke out in the last few thousand. Mm. So it's kind of amazing what we've accomplished. And I do think we're now in a period of retrogression. There's a setback. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to go back to living, you know, in the jungle without electricity. Mm. But we're in a period of retrogression in a number of ways. Uh, you know, I expect we'll get out of it eventually. I don't know how we're going to get out of it, but I expect we will eventually. But right now we're in a tough spot. Mm. Democracies are not working well. Authoritarian capitalism, like ch that of China, is looking pretty good to a lot of people in the world. Yeah. So those of us who believe in liberal democracy and diverse secular liberal democracies, we've got our work cut out for us. Mm. Uh, we've got to turn down the tribalism, look at our systems, upgrade our systems, renovate our democracies, or at least America does. Maybe mm. yours is working pretty well. I'll find out. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we're in trouble in America and uh, to, well, in Britain too, obviously with Brexit is a big part of it, but they have a lot of the same social problems as us. Canada is generally healthier. Their politics is certainly better than, than America's, uh, but they have the same Gen Z issue, exactly mm. the same um, as we do. And so I think I'll close by just saying, I'm really looking forward to coming to New Zealand in, in early August. Um, if people want to get tickets to the show, it's uh, go to Think Inc. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-C dot org dot A-U. Uh, Susie Jamil is based in, in Australia. She's running the tour for me. And I'll be um, speaking in Auckland on, oh, wait, what's the date? Yeah, Auckland on Thursday, August 1st at the Bruce Mason Center. Awesome. Jonathan Hyde, thank you so much for blowing our minds and, uh, you know, kind of scaring us too. But in the same way, the answer, I think, is something like, just keep talking, keep having these chats because we've got to keep in touch with each other in these uh, weird times, right? And, right, and, right? Have these chats and approach them realizing that no matter how confident you are in what you think, you're wrong about a lot of things you think and you won't know which part. Mm. And so we really need to invite critics. We need to talk to people who disagree with us to get smarter. So I guess that's it. Get smarter. <laughs>